Good morning. Welcome to Redemption Church. My name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here, if you don't know me. Uh, man, that last song was really beautiful, just like such a good proclamation of the gospel. He's making everything beautiful. He's taking all the mess and brokenness of the world and making it beautiful. I think that that's like what draws me to him over and over and over again as I just see him making beautiful things out of the brokenness of the world, and that's what he's proven through Christ to do, and that's what he's promised that he's doing through us and in us and, and, and will eventually accomplish uh, completely. That's really good news. Um, this morning we're going to be in Acts chapter 27 and 28, the last two chapters of, uh, of Acts, as we've been kind of going through Acts since the beginning of the year. So if you will, turn to Acts chapter 27, and we're going to read together this story that goes from 27 verse 1 all the way to 28 verse 10. It's kind of a lot of reading, but it's a really good story, and uh, I just want you to follow along. We're going to read this before we get going. Acts 27 verse 1. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Andromidium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea. Accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, the next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And then putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra and Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus, and as the wind did not allow us to go further, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmon. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Verse 13, now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along, running under the lee of a small island called Cauda. We managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. And after hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground in Sirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. 
when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God was, has granted you all those who sail with, and God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told, but we must run aground on some island. When the fourteenth night had come, as we were being driven uh, across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little further on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run onto the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boats, boat into the sea under the pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about dawn, Paul urged them to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. When he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all. He broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. But when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Verse 39. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied to the rudders, then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow, stru the bow struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was, it was that all were brought to safety, were brought safely to land. Chapter 28. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and they welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened to his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. 
They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick for, uh, f- uh, with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and we were about to set sail. They put on board whatever we needed. I lied. We're going through verse 16. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium, Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Patuli. There we found brother, brothers, and we were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. And on seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. When we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Would you pray with me? Our Father, I just thank you this morning for gathering your people together, that we would worship you, that we would uh, proclaim Christ to one another, that we would proclaim the good news of Jesus to one another in in our words, in our deeds, in our singing, in our breaking of the bread and taking of the wine and the juice, and as we give our tithes and offerings, as we serve our children and as we serve one another in many, many ways, Lord, I thank you. You've brought us together to make Jesus known to each one of us. I pray, Lord, this morning that through my time, it'll be you who speaks. Lord, you say what you once said. Have each one of us hear what you would have us hear. You are all we need, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple of months ago, Claire and I got on a plane, which I'm not a fan of, and uh, we took off from Atlanta and we went to Colorado, got in a shuttle, went to Vail, spent some time in Vail on a retreat with Acts 29. Acts 29 is a church planting network we're a part of. Just spent a couple of days out there, and then on the way back, we got up super early, got on a shuttle, came back to Denver, got on a plane, and getting ready to fly back. But we got a little bit delayed. Right? We boarded, we were already a little bit behind, then they're like, the cap, you know, the pilot comes on the intercom, you know how this goes, I'm sorry ladies and gentlemen, uh, we didn't know it was going to be hot today, who doesn't have the weather channel or the weather app, but whatever, uh, we didn't know how it was going to be this hot today, so we loaded too much weight onto the plane, I don't know what that means, it's hot, you have too much weight on the plane, whatever, so they take like two people off the plane, seems insignificant, like you got like this four billion pound plane flying in the air and it can't hold a couple normal people. Uh, they take a couple people off. I think they took some cargo off. Uh, it took forever. Uh, and then, and that took some time, right? So then after that, the, the pilot comes back on. And you know how like when you're sitting in the plane and it's hot outside and the air really doesn't work, it's just blowing hot air on you? I don't like that. Well, that's happening. I'm getting a little nauseous already. Then uh, pilot comes back on. Hey, um, so... Since, then, since, since we had this delay, now the tailwinds have changed. Don't know what a tailwind is. Uh, tailwinds have changed. We're going to have to take off from a different direction. 
Sounds good, man. Take off whichever way you want. I don't know what, right? So then we taxi all over this airport in this plane, like for 30 minutes. I, I guess we had to get to a different runway or whatever. Get to a different runway. We pull over. I got a window seat. Learned my lesson. I don't like the window seat. It's really cramped over there. And I'm looking out the window, and like planes are just coming by us and getting on the runway and taking off. And they just keep coming. I'm like, hey, we, can we just get in the line? Can we get in the line to take off? so that we could go and maybe get some air conditioning, you know? Pilot finally comes on, hey, we were taxiing around for quite a while. Our brakes are hot. We can't take off because our brakes are hot. Hey, Mr. Pilot, we don't use the brakes to take off, right? We got to get as fast as we can. Anyway, I, I was getting pretty frustrated. It was getting hot. I know that I don't know what I'm talking about. It doesn't matter. I was pent up. I was frustrated. I don't like flying anyways. Now we're like an hour late getting going, and uh, I'm, not, I'm not excited about it. Finally, we get in line, we take off, and we're in the air. And then I pull up this little golf game on my phone, and I'm trying to, you know, just make the time pass. I pull up the, the, the map on the back of the seat so I can see which pattern we're going in because I understand that. That never makes sense to me either. I don't know why we always fly, like, north and then come down or south and come up. Why don't we just take a straight line? Like, right? That's why we fly, so we can go straight. I don't... But anyways... The plane takes off, we're going, we're a couple hours in, I'm kind of getting relaxed, I have a Coke Zero, it's delicious. And finally I see the Mississippi River. I'm like, oh, I know that, that's the Mississippi River for sure. I know where we are, we're not that far, I can make the rest of this flight. I'm going to be fine, it's going to be fine. And then we just turn north and start going up the Mississippi River, you know? So we go up there, I'm like, I don't know what's happening, and then he comes on hey, there's a storm system in Atlanta, so we're going to have to kind of go around this thing and circle or something, and we're going to get there in a long time from now. And we just kind of go all over the place. I think we saw all of the southeast. I don't know. We went back and forth across the Mississippi so many times, I had no idea which direction we were going. And I was very, very frustrated, and I started getting, like, really pent up. Like, I really was getting nauseous. And then I was like getting clammy and the cold sweats. I was like, somebody's got to get me out of the seat. You know, I got to get out of here. Uh, anyways, the pilot just kept interrupting my plans. He was making me very frustrated. But I know that he wasn't really concerned about me getting to Atlanta on time or about me being comfortable or getting me out of that seat. He was more concerned about getting me and the rest of the passengers there safely, right? I know that. And in much the same way, though it, it's in contradiction to the bumper stickers, uh, the bumper sticker theology you might see, God is not our co-pilot. Have you seen that? God's my co-pilot. God is not our co-pilot. We're not flying the plane. We're not in charge, and it's a good thing. It's a good thing because we tend to get pinned up like I was in that seat. We tend to think we know best. We're short-sighted. We think we, should, we know what, what to do. And we'd take off in the heat with all the luggage and with hot brakes, and we'd never make it off the ground. We'd just burn up into a big fireball. I would fly right into that storm thinking, man, I could probably just go a little higher. I don't think lightning's all the way up in the air. I could fly over it, get to Atlanta, land and go home and see my kids and get in my bed. That sounds good. That's what I would do. But God's ways are not our ways. He doesn't 
He doesn't miss a step. He knows exactly what he's doing, and wherever he takes us will be for the best. Now, over the next three weeks, I want us to look at the end of this book of Acts. We're going to stay in these two chapters sort of uh, for, for the next three weeks, and we're just going to look at three different aspects across them. And this week, I just want us to think about the journey. Let's think about the journey. Like when I read these two chapters, I think of stories from Lewis and, and Tolkien, right, where hobbits and children journey through like somewhat perilous places and circumstances, and they see unreal things happen, but they get really dangerous and scary, but they also see great victories. I think of like epics by Homer and Virgil, right? I mean, we have this voyage at sea that we just read about. It runs all over the place. There's a shipwreck. Paul gets bit by a snake, a viper. That's, he got bit by a viper, and he just shakes it off. As you read through the last couple chapters, it just feels to me, a little more storied than the rest of the book. It just seems like this epic adventure, but really, when we kind of think back over our last several months in the book of Acts, if we look back over it, we've been following a pretty epic story, haven't we? Like, just think of how the story started. Is the disciples. Jesus was raised from the dead. They're hanging out with him. They know he's king. He said he was going to do this. He did. That means he's king. They're waiting for the revolution to begin, because that's the next obvious step. And then he ascends into the clouds and just kind of leaves them hanging, right? And tells them to go and wait. And then they go and wait, but they kind of seem a little bit unsure about what, what they're waiting for. And then the Spirit falls. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. And the gospel starts going forth in ways that they couldn't have imagined. And it's flourishing. But it doesn't take too long for persecution to come. And then Stephen is martyred. Stephen is killed. Stoned to death. And the church is scattered because of the persecution. This doesn't seem to be going to plan. I mean, it seems backwards. It seems like a, the wrong way. It doesn't seem like the way you would take to just for the revolution, for this to happen. You'd make more of a straight line. Things seem to be going backwards. And then Peter's hanging out with that tanner, remember? And God comes and sees him. And then he's like, hey, go to Caesarea and hang out with the centurion and a bunch of Gentiles. People you don't belong with. People you won't fit in with. People who have different customs than you do that you think are dirty and unclean. And it's not them who's going to change. It's you who's going to change. Then Paul meets Jesus and things get really crazy. The most unlikely of Jews becomes a minister to the Gentiles. There are mission trips, there's riots, there's imprisonments, there's beatings. And then finally, just as Jesus told Ananias way back then when he met Paul, that Paul was going to be a witness to the Gentiles and that he was going to be a witness to the children of Israel, which he has been, and that he was going to be a witness to kings. Finally, this all comes about, but it's not the way that anybody would have thought, right? He's on his way in chapter 27 and 28 to Rome to stand before Caesar, but as a prisoner, not as like a welcomed guest. So there's this journey in in, in chapter 27 and 28 to get to Rome to make a meeting happen, and this journey is nothing like the one that I would have planned. I've got a map of what we just read about, and I got this real special broomstick pointer so I can help us along. We just, we roll really large around here. So, 
Yeah. Now, before we start really looking at it, if you were God, this is where I was at. If you were God, and I had, if I was God, and I had some human cargo to get from here to Rome up here, this is how I would go. Whoop, like that. Does that make sense? I mean, that's just kind of straight. That's about as straight as line. Maybe, you know, maybe right through there. Something straight. You would go straight. You wouldn't go backwards. And you definitely wouldn't go way over here. You would go straight. I mean, you're God, right? You control the weather and the wind and the seas. Remember when Jesus calmed the storm in the boat? Remember when he parted, when God parted the seas for Moses and the Israelites to walk through? I mean, if God wants to make a way, he'll make a way, Right? So if I was God, that's how I would make the trip go. I would just make it go straight, just straight and efficient. It would be nice to get him there, get him before Caesar and get this revolution going. But right away, I see that my way isn't his way. Because they catch a ship that was headed for the ports of Asia. So originally, they're catching a ship from here to like over here, these ports of Asia. Okay, that's good. I can get that. Uh, because you get layovers sometimes on flights and stuff. And so you could go from here to here. Just nice straight line. Just cut across there and then make your way up the ports of Asia. No, that's not how it works either. Because of the winds, because of the trade winds, they have to sail around. They kind of backtrack straight away on their trip. They immediately kind of go backwards and up and over around the back of that island because of the way the winds are and they're fighting the winds and they finally land in Myra. Myra's right here. So that's where they first land. And then they catch this other ship, uh, to, to uh, an Alexandrian ship that's going to take them to Italy. So it sounds like they're on the right track. Even if they had to go that way because it was fine, that's fine. Uh, but they're going to go straight away to Italy. But as that one gets going, they start fighting winds pretty bad. They can't make it further than Nidus, and they have to sort of duck around the island of Crete. So this is what they're doing here, right? They take off over here. They can't really get out and around from here, and so they have to kind of duck under because of the winds. And they got to come down and around this way to get around it. So this is where they first come. Then they land at Fair Havens. It says they kind of stay there, and that's where Paul's like, hey, guys, we should just stay here for the winter. That seems... Let's just stay here. And then they said, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to try to make it just a few more miles to Phoenix. That's Phoenix. Just so you know what we're talking about when we read this story. They sail with some difficulties to reach Fair Havens. Paul encourages them to stay. But the captain pushes out again. They try to get to Phoenix for the winter. And I think it's important for us to understand that this captain, he's also the owner of the ship, the scripture says, Right? He runs a grain ship. He runs a ship that's running wheat. His, this is his livelihood, and he's trying to make time to roam. Like, time is money. You've got to get set up for the best way and the quickest way that you're going to get to Rome. He's not just all about getting Paul where he needs to go. He's trying to get his wheat and grain where it needs to go. And it's kind of like I would be if I was the captain or if I was a pilot of the plane. I just want to get there fast. So he pushes out. But that move turns to be a mistake they hit a northeastern wind, and that pushes them down around Cauda and out to sea. So this is where it gets bad, right? That trade wind, I mean, that northeastern wind gets them out here, and then they kind of come out here, and they just get lost in the storm. They get caught in a tempest, and they give up hope that they will even survive. And this is when Paul stands up, and he says this. I'm going to read it again in, in chapter 27, 21 through 26. 
It says, since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of a ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and from whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have told you. And Paul tells them that they must find a way to run. They're going to be safe. They're going to make it. But they got to find a way to run aground. So at night, they perceive that they're getting close to land. They take some measurements. They think they're there. They drop some anchors so they don't run aground in the middle of the night. They're still trying to save the ship. They're still trying to save their grain. They're still trying to save the money, basically. And when they let down uh, the boats to go to shore, Paul's like, no, 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 you can't do that. You have to stay on board. Everything's going to be lost, but you're going to be safe. But you've got to stay on board. And then he encourages them to eat, and he breaks bread, and they eat together with 276 people on board, and it says they're encouraged. Then, after eating and being encouraged, still trying to save the ship, which makes sense because they're on the ship, they abandon their money, their money maker, they abandon the wheat, and they start throwing it overboard. Like at this point, they have no idea where they are, and when the day breaks, they don't recognize the place, but they plan to run the ship ashore, and they, as far as they know, the ship's not going to make it really, and so they start lightening the load so that they can get going and get up onto the, onto the shore. So at last, they run aground, the ship busts. The bow breaks. They have to get overboard and swim uh, to, to land. And the centurion, by the grace of God, keeps the soldiers from killing all the prisoners so that Paul makes it safely. And so when morning comes, is the map still around? I like pointing at it with this thing. It's fun. No? Well, anyways, when morning comes, there it is. When morning comes, they're kind of like right out here off the coast of Malta. They don't recognize the place. They don't know where they are. They just know that they got to run aground, and they go for it. And they spend the next three months there. And they, over those three months, shipwrecked, snake-bitten in Malta, Paul and Luke, companions, heal. They share the gospel. It doesn't actually say that they share the gospel, but we know from the rest of the book of Acts, anytime somebody accuses Paul of being a God, he's sharing the gospel. He's going to tell them about who the real God is behind it all, and he's healing, and he's sharing the gospel. They spend three months there with these barbarians, that is, non-Greeks. This is just a side note. They spend time with barbarians who are non-Greeks, healing and sharing the gospel. As if the gospel isn't just meant for the Jews and then the Gentiles or then the Greeks, but also, as he says in Colossians 3.11, the circumcised and the uncircumcised, the barbarian, the Scythian, the slave, the free, the gospel is for everyone and it's got to go everywhere to everyone. It's good news for everybody. So after three months there, they finally catch a ride with another ship and they wintered in Malta and was headed to Syracuse. From there, they just cap, catch a couple boat rides. So they just kind of come up here to Syracuse, get some boat rides, come up here, and then they're walking up the way. And as they're walking up towards Rome, this is where the people come out to meet them at three taverns in the form of Appius 
And Paul is greatly encouraged there. The point is, this journey is not a straight line, right? It's not a straight line. It's not the way we would have done it if we were God and we could control the weather. It's not a straight line at all, but God was with them. A messenger from God, an angel from God actually was with them, telling them, you're going to make it, and everybody with you is going to make it, and you're going to stand beside, before Caesar just like I've been telling you. You're going to stand before Caesar. God's ways are not our ways, but let's not mistake it. He doesn't miss a step. He doesn't ever get it wrong, and wherever he takes us will be for the best. Brent's not here this morning, so I'll say this about him while he's gone. He tells me that he reads, when he reads a story that he really likes, he purposely won't read the end of the book, right? He won't read the end of the book. He won't finish it because he doesn't want it to end. That's ridiculous, (laughs) okay? It is ridiculous. I don't really totally understand, but I I mean, I get where he's coming from, right? Because you kind of get lost in a story and you kind of like are there, right? If you're in, if you're reading um, Narnia books, you like being in Narnia, and you don't want to leave Narnia and have it all over. Like, while every great story kind of leaves you with a sense that the story goes on in some way, right, you know at the end, the adventure's over. And there's no more adventure here, and eventually this must end because this isn't actually in my history, and I'm not actually part of this story, and I don't get to actually take part in it, right? Or maybe it was just all fake, It was all fiction. It was all false, right? At the end of the story, the tragic reality is that we don't actually get to be a part of the story, and we like to keep that feeling. So Brent likes to hang on to it, you know, for whatever reason. But the adventure is done. But here's the great difference between the story in Acts and the early church versus the fairy tales and the stories we love that we don't want to put down. This story isn't over. This story isn't over and it's not made up. It's not fiction and it's not false. And the whole point of the story and the whole point of this journey in Acts is to call us at Redemption Church even to be participants in the drama of redemption. When I said that God is not our co-pilot and that God's ways are not our ways and that wherever he takes us will be from the best, that doesn't mean that we're not participants. It doesn't mean that We don't get to be a part of the story. Think about it. Acts started, we covered this a lot, Acts 1-8, right, with a mission. It was given by Jesus to go and reach Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And the Great Commission, as recorded by Matthew, calls us to go and make disciples of all nations. And that call is to us also as children of God, right? We've been invited into God's mission, into his work, into what he's accomplishing in the world. We are sent to carry light back into the darkness from which we were called out of. God is not our co-pilot. God's ways are not our ways. He doesn't miss a step. His ways are always best, but I wouldn't say we're just merely passengers. We aren't pinned up in a seat in the back of the plane just wondering what's going to happen. We are participants with him. I think the good news of the Great Commission and the good news of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts is that God is with us. God is with us. 
He isn't locked in a cabin in the front of the plane. He's with us, right? And he involves us in the journey. I think of it like, like if our dad was the pilot and we get to sit in front and he lets us press some buttons. Or like if, we were, if he's the captain of the ship and we get to say things like, hoist the sails, or we get to climb that tower and go, land ho! That sounds fun, right? We get to participate. We get to be involved, and we're loved by our dad. I don't even know what any of those things mean, by the way. So as a participant in the drama of redemption, as ambassadors of reconciliation, and as kids of grace invited into our Father's work, the question I was going to ask us this morning is just like, what do we need for the journey? What do we need for this journey? Like, if it leads in any way, shape, or form into a journey that looks like something like this, or if it leads in any way, shape, or form to a journey that looks like that in Acts with its many twists and turns and places where it seems like we're going backwards and it doesn't make sense, I mean, what will we need for a journey like that? I think it's really just this. We need the gospel to be seared into our hearts and our minds and our souls. We need the good news of Jesus to be seared into our hearts, minds, and souls. Like as we followed the story of the apostles and the early church in Acts, what we've seen is that every step of the journey, at every step, God is doing a great work and bringing good news to the nations. And even when things are difficult, every time things are difficult, it's not because of these guys or heroes that things go great or that great things unfold, right? It's because Jesus is the hero, and he is rescuing the world. It's because of the work of the Holy Spirit, making Christ known in the hearts of his people and to the nations. But they get to be involved. They get to be on the journey, because they have the gospel seared into their hearts and their souls and their minds. They realize how great he is and how truly small And what a broken mess they really are and how much they need him. They truly believe that God can be totally trusted in life and in death because they belong to him forever. And they know their father who loves them has the power to overcome anything and everything in this world. So when they end up in prison throughout Acts, they sing hymns together, right? And they laugh and they smile and They have joy. And when they have plenty, they generously share and enjoy being a part of the family of God with others. And when they end up beaten, they willingly go with the gospel on their lips. When they are lost at sea, they're confident in the ways of God. In this episode at sea, just listen again, 27, 22 through 25, to what Paul stands up and says. He says, there will be no life among you, no life lost among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all of those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. Because this is God with them. The way is set. The conclusion is sure. You and everyone with you are going to get there, he tells Paul. And Paul and his companions can trust in God because they wholeheartedly know that the Lord is a sure thing. 
Not just because Paul saw something, not just because he had this vision or that he saw this messenger, but because of the one, because of Jesus who sent the message, right? Because they have faith in the one who sent the message because of the gospel, because of the good news of Jesus, because he came from heaven for them, because he came from heaven for us. He died on a tree to free us from the curse of sin. He rose from the dead and he defeated death. And he sent his spirit so that we can share in his life and in his glorious inheritance. And if God came out for him like that, if God came out for you like that, if he came out for us like that to keep his promises, he's utterly faithful and we can trust him. And we can say like Paul, I have faith in God. So what do you need for the journey? The gospel. You just need the gospel seared into your heart, soul, and mind so that you can trust him at every turn no matter which way this thing goes because he's good and he's got it. He doesn't misstep and his ways are always for the best. And I would add one other thing you might need. It's a supplement to the first, really, and it's community. Like we need each other so that we can experience him most fully and keep the good news out in front of us all. Like none of the journeys in this book, uh, none of the mission trips in this book have involved just a single person going. I know we just think of like Paul's missionary journeys, but there's always people with him, right? It's never just a single person doing it alone, being the hero. There's always a group on mission together. And even when they're not together, like in an actual physical space, they're with each other. Like you can just read all of Paul's letters and how many people he's mentioning in prayer and thanking God for and thanking for how they've encouraged him and thanking, thanking God for, for, for their work and their mission and what they're doing. Then you know that they are with each other. And not only that, the fact that he's writing letters is a way of being with those that you can't be with physically, right? Let's not forget how often, as we've read through the book of Acts, when the people of Christ were, were gathered together, where they saw enormous movements of the Spirit. We need the gospel for this journey, and we also need gospel community. I love this scene in this, uh, this story in chapter 28, verse 15. As they near Rome and, and some Christians come down to meet them, at uh, the three taverns and the forum of Appius. It, it says this in Luke twenty-eight fifteen. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. Paul thanked God and took courage. This is why we need gospel community. Now think about it. Paul, Paul is still a prisoner. You know? He's still human. He's still just been through a shipwreck. He still got bit by a viper. He still went the long way and went through some really hard stuff. Even after hearing from God aboard the ship and encouraging others, encouraging 276 crew members, he could easily drift. He could easily forget the purpose of it all. He could easily begin to lose some hope. He could be, begin to have to fight fear. But by these brothers and sisters who came out to meet him, who are Christians, who love God, who know the gospel. He says, thank God, and he found courage. And certainly they were mutually encouraged by Paul. And I think we should thank God to get today because he's given us one another here. Like, thank God that he's given us one another. 
As I thought about it this week, going through this, I thought about that. Are we thankful? I know we're thankful for one another. He's given us one another to keep the gospel in each other's lives. But, but I wonder, when we meet together on a Sunday morning like this, or when we meet at missional community during the week, do we dread it sometimes? Or do we think, or do we thank God and, and take courage, right? Like when we're coming to church or going to missional community or some other church activity, do you kind of dread it or do you thank God and take courage? And this isn't an indictment because I know the feeling and I know the answer is sometimes, yeah, I dread it because I dread it sometimes. Sometimes I'm thankful to see y'all and some days I'm kind of weary and worn out. Some days I don't want to go to missional community at six o'clock on a Monday night because I got three kids and I've been working all day too and I'm tired. And that's when my school stuff is due on Monday nights, you know? Sometimes you come and you just feel tired and weary. And sometimes you come on a Sunday morning and you just feel tired and weary and you don't really want to give much. You just are doing the thing. I get it. Sometimes you come to sit and you hear the word and, and then you get asked to serve somewhere that you didn't plan on serving, right? You get taken around that island. You get hit by the, northern, the northeastern. Can you uh, serve in, in the nursery this morning? <laughs> what? No, I'm tired and weary. It kind of screws up your plans for the day, right? I say all that because I was just thinking through it, man. Like when, when am I encouraged by the church? When am I encouraged by the church where I go, thank you God for the church and I find courage and encouragement from the church? It's when I hear the good news. It is. It's when I hear the good news from others or when I get to do this and speak good news, but maybe not even up here in some other way, shape, or form. Or when I see other people sharing the good news with each other, maybe in words, maybe in action, maybe by going and serving, maybe by telling kids about Jesus, maybe by opening doors. When I actually see it working out, when I see somebody or hear about somebody pressing into somebody else's life with, with the gospel and with grace and love and they're receptive and they hear it and I see them encouraged, that's encouraging to me. I remember the gospel. I remember that Jesus brought us together to strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. When it happens, if I didn't come thanking God, I leave thanking God. That's true. If I hear the good news, if I get to speak the good news, or if I see the good news being worked out amongst others, I have something to thank God for. So maybe we don't gather here to hear me speak or Reggie speak or anybody else speak or, 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 or take in some good music. Maybe we gather to hear and proclaim the gospel to each other in word and deed. Think about that. What if we gather together, if we come here to proclaim the gospel to each other in word and deed? What if we evaluated our times together that way? What have we thought about Sundays? What have we thought missional communities that way? Not how well the gospel is necessarily proclaimed from the stage through speaking or through music or whatever, but how the gospel was proclaimed all around us in this family and word and deed. What if that's how we measured the success of our times together? Was the gospel proclaimed amongst us? Did we get to proclaim the gospel together with others? What if we measured it that way? I think a church like that would change the world. 
I think a church like that would change the world because that's a church that would be becoming more and more Christ-like. That's a church that would be building each other up into the image of Christ. So the question is this morning is what does the journey look like for us at Augusta, in Augusta, Georgia at Redemption Church? Like we say we, we want to see downtown saturated with the good news of Jesus. That's the vision for Redemption Church. Downtown saturated with the good news of Jesus Christ. That's a good vision. That's what he does is saturate the world with him, with his glory. We also say that we want to plant churches, that we want to lead people to Jesus who lead people to Jesus. We say we want to do a lot of things. How will we get there? What will the journey look like? I don't know. Bumpy, backwards, messed up, not the way I would plot it out. Thus far, that's been the case. Thus far, that's been the case. The course I would set looks nothing like the journey he's had us on. But God is faithful, and God has been faithful. And God is making us more and more Christ-like. He's brought us here for a purpose. He's brought us this way for a purpose, which is to grow us up into Christ-likeness together so that the world can see Christ through us. We may not get from point A to point B as the bird flies, right? And that kind of can get frustrating. But God's ways are not our ways. He doesn't miss a step. And wherever he takes us will be for the best. And I really like what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 through 24. He says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. He will surely do it. The question is, Are you in? Can you trust him? Are you in? Are you in for this journey? Like those aboard the ship with Paul, in the dark, off the coast of Malta, not knowing where they are, realizing at this point that nothing else is worth holding on to, and they start basically just tossing money overboard, right? They're just counting it all as loss so they can save their life. I wonder, do we see that the world is dark, and is in need of the light of Jesus, that the world is lost and doesn't know where it is and is in need of the light of Jesus and nothing else is worth holding on to. Life is found in Christ alone. Do you know that you still need Jesus? That there are still places, there's places in you where you're still holding on to things that would sink you and would drown you and want nothing more for you than death, honestly, or They don't want anything for you. They're not alive. Nothing is alive. It doesn't want anything for you, and it only leads to death because it's dead. It's not alive. We hold on to things that would do nothing but sink and drown us. I think part of the end of this book in Acts is an invitation for us to the journey. It doesn't resolve in the end of the book. We're going to kind of see that next week. But as we'll see, Paul stays there in Rome for a couple of years, and, and we're not really given any real ending right? It doesn't end. The mission's still on. God is still with us. We're actually part of this story. That's why we're part of this church planting network that's called Acts 29. That doesn't exist. There's not an Acts 29. We're the next chapter, right? That's the idea. It doesn't end. We're on the journey. For those of us who 
don't know Jesus, if you don't know Jesus, I think all I want is, to hear, is for you to hear an invitation this morning. Hear, hear about the good news of Jesus. Hear an invitation to the good news of Jesus. This isn't, it's not a call that you might expect, a get out of hell free card. It's not about that. It's not a get out of hell free card, although your life is at stake, for sure. But it's an invitation to the life you were created for. Hear this. The good news is you're invited into a life that you were created for. It's a life that was won by the death and resurrection of Jesus, who was God, who has broken the power of the idolatry of this world. That is, all the things that would hold you captive, that aren't alive, that you waste your entire life going after. We all know we do it. Jesus has broken the power of those things, the power of this world, and all the little things we would worship worship that are killing us and leading us to death and that can never produce life. He's defeated, and he's given us himself, who is alive, who created us with purpose and has made us be able to be in right relationship with him so that we can find life as we are created to live it. Follow Jesus. That's the call. Follow Jesus. Trust him. He came for you. If he would go out for you like that, you can trust him. Live life more abundant. That has, I'm not talking about abundance of things. I'm talking about an abundance of purpose, an abundance of being filled with the light and the shining light into the darkness. It's not about conquering the world. That's not what we're about. We're not about conquering the world. We're about seeing the world reconciled to its king. We're about seeing him make all things beautiful as we sung just a little while ago. So would you hear, if you don't know Jesus, would you hear the love of your father's voice this morning? He went out for you. He went out for your salvation. He went out so that you can live. And he loves you. If you'd like to talk about what it looks like to follow him, I'd love to talk to you. And for those of us who know Jesus, what's the, what's the journey been like this far? Just consider it. Have you stopped and thought through your story? Have you thought through your last few days, or your last few weeks, your last few months, your last several years with him? Do you ever stop and think about it? I know it's easy. We kind of get lost in the day-to-day, right? But have you looked at how he has been at work in your life, even through all the frustrating times? How has he been making you more Christ-like through it all? Pause. Consider it. What's the journey been like thus far, and how is he making you more Christ-like? How has he given you cause to trust him? How has he given you cause to trust that he knows what he's doing? And how can your own testimony serve to encourage you? Right? And then, we're a community called to strive together for the faith of the gospel, as Paul writes in Philippians 1. We need each other's stories. I think of Luke on this ship in that same spot where Paul stands up and talks about this messenger, this angel from God. I bet Luke was encouraged on the ship when Paul stood up and said that. He didn't see the angel, right? But I bet he was encouraged when Paul stood up and said that an angel of God had promised safety for the whole crew because he knew that God was with them. Right? He needed to hear what Paul had been told so that he would have courage and he would be encouraged by the gospel. So consider your story. Consider your own story. 
Consider how Christ is already at work in you and share it with each other and share it with others. We're called to do that. That's pretty much it. You can trust him. I'm going to read 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 through 24 again. It says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. That means to make you Christ-like completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ because he who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. He will surely do it. God is not our co-pilot. God's ways are not our ways. But he doesn't miss a step. And wherever he takes us will be for the best. Over the next few minutes, we're going to enter into a time of response, which we do each week. And there'll be a time where we can reflect and pray uh, right where you are. The band will come up and lead us through music and worship, a time where we can just worship God together and proclaim the, the gospel in our songs with one another and to one another and over one another. Also, during this time, we'll take up offering. We just have a basket in the back. You can go back and put your tithes and offerings back there as we worship him with our, our money. And then also every week we take communion at Redemption Church. So you can come down either side here and there'll be people here to serve. You can take a piece of bread and dip it in the wine of the juice. And when we do this, we remember Jesus Christ. We remember him, his blood, and his, uh, his body that he gave for us, that he came out for us, that he came to save us. And if he did that, then he can be trusted because he's for us and he's not against us. And so when we take that, we remember it, and we proclaim that truth to one another, right? We're reminding each other of that gospel. So if you're a Christian, whether you're a member here or not, we invite you to come and take with us uh, of, of, the, of communion. If you're not a Christian, we'd ask you, that you stay where you are and not take, not because we don't want you to be a part of it, because we don't want you to say something that you can't say. Instead, would you hear what we're saying as we take? Jesus is for you. He's not against you. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. And would you accept that invitation and follow him. Would you pray with me? Our Father, I thank you again for this day. I thank you for this church. I thank you for these people. I thank you that you've gathered this group together this morning. I thank you for those who aren't in this room, who are in the back, who are serving, and who those who are vacationing, and those who aren't here this morning. Lord, you, you've brought together your people to be a body, to be a family, not just to attend. And you've given us Jesus, Lord. It's by Jesus that we're brought together. And it's such good news that we who are not a people are now a people. That we're your people, that we're your children. That you've called us in to participate in this drama of, 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 of redemption. That you've called us to be ambassadors of reconciliation, Lord. That you bring us along on the work that you're doing. That we get to fulfill the purpose you created for us, created us for, which is to make you known in all the earth, to glorify you in all the earth. That's life for us. That's what makes us our heartbeat. That's what gives us breath is to make you known. That's why we exist, and it brings us joy and satisfaction when we can do that. So I pray, Lord, this morning that you help us to hear one another proclaim the gospel, to proclaim Jesus to us, and you help us to proclaim it to others. Make Christ known to us by your Holy Spirit. And make this church Christ-like so that the 
city surrounding us so that downtown may look and see Jesus and know him and follow him. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.